welcome to the podcast for the fifth Sunday of Easter from St Michael's Lillishaw and St John's Muxton. Special welcome if you're tuning in for the first time. My name is Matthew and I'm the vicar and it's my pleasure to lead you through this next half an hour. We begin as we're still in Eastertide with the traditional Easter greeting. Alleluia, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He has given us new life and hope by raising Jesus from the dead. One of the exciting things as society begins to open up again is that we've been able to conduct services that we haven't taken many of during the lockdowns. So yesterday at St Michael's there was our first wedding for a while between Henry Hornby, the grandson of Gillian and John Hornby, who many of you know, and Rebecca Hunter. And then today at St John's Muxton there's the baptism of Layla Grogan, the first baptism we've done for quite a while. So it's really exciting and a real privilege to be involved in these occasions. Please do pray for Layla and her parents and for Henry and Rebecca as they begin their married life together. This week we are continuing our series, Do You Know Him? Many of the churches in Telford are following the same series between now and Pentecost. And today we're on the third in our series where we're considering Jesus crucified. Jan Stackhouse will be speaking to us on that in a moment. First of all, we have an opportunity to come to God in confession, remembering that we fail, we fall short of his standards. But knowing that because Jesus was crucified, we can fall on God's mercy and be forgiven. So when I say, Lord, have mercy, please respond with Lord, have mercy. When I say, Christ, have mercy, please respond with Christ, have mercy. Like Mary at the empty tomb, we fail to grasp the wonder of your presence. Lord, have mercy. Like the disciples behind locked doors, we are afraid to be seen as your followers. Christ, have mercy. Like Thomas in the upper room, we are slow to believe. Lord, have mercy. And now hear these words of forgiveness spoken over us. May the Father of all mercies cleanse us from our sins and restore us in his image to the praise and glory of his name through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. So I'm going to hand over to Jan now for her talk and Terry will be reading the passages from the Bible. Good morning and welcome to our service this morning on the 2nd of May. My name is Jan Stackhouse and it's my great privilege to be able to continue on our sermon series. And the question resounding around Telford at this moment is, do you know him? Which is the subject of our talk today. And is of course about Jesus. And as I reflected on this title, it set me thinking, because surely each one of us here listening to the podcast or whether we're listening in church, know Jesus. So isn't this all a bit of a waste of time, I asked myself. 
But I have great faith in the wisdom of the church leaders in Telford, who've come up with this initiative. People who've spent considerable time putting together guidance for home groups and service leaders, designing posters and devising communication strategies, etc. This must be worth doing. So this set me thinking further, and it clicked last week as John was speaking to us. It surely is about the word no. And so I went to the dictionary for a bit of research. At the first click on Google, up came two definitions that I think hit the mark. The first one was be aware of through observation, inquiry or information. That is, to know about something. And then the second one was to have developed a relationship with someone through meeting and spending time with them. To be familiar or friendly with them. And I think this surely is the clue. How do each one of us know Jesus? Do we know about him? Have we lots of understanding through reading our Bibles, listening to sermons and talking to others? Or do we know Jesus in the same way we know our partner, our parent, our children or our friends? Of course, to some extent, both may apply. For we need information in order to find out who the person of Jesus is and how we can get into a relationship with him in the first place. This series, I believe, is all about this. I am guessing that most of us know about Jesus. The question we need to explore is, do we really know him, know him personally and relationally? In the first week of this series, we explored if we understood and knew Jesus in the divine sense. Was it new to us that Jesus actually is God himself? That is, that they are one and the same person. Jesus was there in the beginning creating the world. This essentially is the distinctiveness of Christianity. No other faith has these claims. Muhammad isn't God. The Dalai Lama isn't God. Buddha isn't God. But Jesus is God. Do we know Jesus as God? Then last week John introduced us to Jesus as shepherd, a metaphor used in the Old Testament to describe a divine leader. And Jesus says, that is who I am. I am the good shepherd who cares, protects and guides those who belong to him. Those who know him know his voice, know when he speaks to them, knows when he is saying, go this way or don't go that way. Do we know Jesus in this personal, intimate way? Today we carry on this journey, getting to know Jesus, the Jesus who died on the cross. Just rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? Jesus died on a cross. That's what Christianity is about. And as we strangely revisit this subject so soon after Easter, when we spent time meditating on the crucifixion and delighting in the resurrection, I urge you, don't switch off. Not yet, please. Because the question at the end for you to take away is, do you know Christ crucified, personally and relationally? Did you sink in despair as Jesus suffered this past Maundy Thursday? and Good Friday, in the same way that you have grieved personally for others. 
I have no desire to take anyone into a place of suffering. But this is so, so important that we know what price has been paid for us. Seven years, 700 years before the events of Good Friday, a prophet, one of the very best known prophets of the Old Testament, made a proclamation that many scholars of the time failed to completely understand. And as you now listen to these words, I challenge each one of us not to be able to say afterwards, were not our hearts burning within us whilst we heard it read? Let's listen to Isaiah chapter 53, starting at verse 1. Who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? My servant grew up in the Lord's presence, like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. I, he was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and we looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was opposed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep in silence before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream. But he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong, and had never deceived anyone. But he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have made many descendants. He will enjoy a long life. And the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear all their sins. I will give him the, hon the honours of a victorious soldier, because he exposed himself to death. He was counted among the rebels. He bore the sins of many and interceded for the rebels. One of the things that's sometimes challenged about knowing someone in a personal relational way is that in order to do this, you should be able to describe what the person looks like, knows their habits, know how they behave, 
And how can you do this with someone who died 2,000 years ago and who you've never seen? Of course, through the years, there have been films of Jesus and some of my generation have mounted in the blue eyes of Robert Powell or more recently marvelled at the handsome Ewan McGregor in The Last Days in the Desert or the strikingly handsome Jim Caviezo in The Passion of the Christ. True movie stars were the attributes that we have been led to admire of beauty and stardom. But surely the picture of Jesus, for surely this account from Isaiah can only be describing Jesus as all that was prophesied here came to be true, so true, 700 years later. And we have that for fact. Surely this Jesus was no movie star. Here we're introduced to an ordinary man with nothing in his appearance that would particularly attract us to him. A man that was not in the least popular. In fact, the reverse. He was despised and people turned their backs to him. In the ancient world of Jesus, suffering and sorrow was seen as a pure sign of God's displeasure. And it would have been seen that God is punishing this unremarkable looking man. And so to turn away scornfully was what was expected of any decent God-fearing person. But this unremarkable man had not done that to others. We have an absolute wealth of information that shows us Jesus healing and loving those in pain, suffering and sadness. He didn't turn his back away. Remember the woman who'd been bleeding for years, who shyly, humbly, submissively hid and caught the edge of his cloak to just be near him. And he raised her, held her head high, loved her, and healed her. He so easily could have walked on and ignored her. Or the lepers his disciples tried to protect him from. He called to himself, held them and healed them. No turning away here. He knew their suffering and didn't blame them for it. This ordinary man on trial for his life, innocent of any crime, is led humbly to be slaughtered. The image of an innocent lamb, silent, head bowed, accepting a punishment for a crime he hadn't committed. And let us not forget, this was a revelation 700 years before Jesus was crucified, and at that time the Jewish people would regularly use the slaughter of a lamb as a sacrificial act, an act that they believed would cleanse them of any wrongdoing, an act that they believed would earn them God's forgiveness for the things they did wrong and the things that set them apart from a close relationship with the God who'd created them. Isaiah shows us that this ordinary man of sorrows was silently replacing that sacrificial lamb, was taking upon himself all of the guilt and the wrongdoings. Of who? And this is where the nub hits the road where 2,000 years ago and today meet together. Just listen to the words from the prophecy again. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. It was our weakness he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. He was pierced for our rebellion and crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. 
whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. There is no confusion here. The we and us and our are clearly meant for us here today. We are the we, we are the our, and we are the all of us. Do we turn our back on Jesus now? Even more importantly, do we allow him into our lives to bring us healing in times of trouble? Relief from pain and suffering, freedom from guilt and pardon when we mess up. If we don't, it's a very sad thing because the punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed. Jesus paid a huge price that we could live a life free from guilt, striving, never be good enough. For us to have true peace in our deepest beings, a peace that nothing else can bring. And all of this amazing prophecy was part of God's amazing plan. Just look, here we have an incredible strategy. The perfect remedy for a broken world. Powerful humility and ultimately total victory. But this was 700 years before the event. What actually did happen? Let's listen to the Gospel of Mark, starting at chapter 15, verse 21. A passerby named Simon was from Cyrene, was coming in from the countryside just then, and the soldiers forced him to carry Jesus' cross. Simon was the father of Alexander and Rufus, and they brought Jesus to a place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull. They offered him wine, drugged him myrrh, but he refused it. Then the soldiers nailed him to the cross. They divided his clothes and threw dice to decide who would get each piece. It was nine o'clock in the morning when they crucified him. A sign announced the charge against him. It read, The King of the Jews. Two revolutionaries were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. The people passing by shouted abuse, shaking their heads in mockery. Ah, look at you now, they yelled at him. You said you were going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Well then, save yourself and come down from the cross. The leading priests and teachers of religious law also mocked Jesus. He saved others, they scoffed, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, the King of Israel, Come down from the cross so we can see it and believe him. Even the men who crucified with Jesus ridiculed him. At noon, darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. Then at three o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabagathani, which means, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Some of the bystanders misunderstood and thought he was calling for the prophet Elijah. One of them ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, holding it up to him on a reed with a stick so he could drink. Wait, he says, let's see whether Elijah comes to take him down. Then Jesus uttered another loud cry and breathed his last. 
and the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. When the Roman officer who stood facing him saw how he had died, he explained, This man truly was the Son of God. Some women were there watching from a distance, including Mary, Mary Mantlin, Mary, the mother of James the Younger and of Joseph, and Salome. They had been followers of Jesus and cared for him while he was in Galilee. Many other women who had come with him to Jerusalem were also there. This surely is a shiver down the spine moment. No one could have manipulated a prophecy to bring about a conclusion so accurately. There's so much in the earlier Isaiah writings that come to fruition. We haven't the time here to do, to do much more than scratch the surface, but I urge you to go home and compare the accounts in more detail and you'll see for yourself. Today, though, I just want to stay with getting to know Jesus personally. So I invite you to imagine you are one of the women from the account we've just heard read, watching all that's happening from a distance. You've spent the last three years with Jesus travelling to different places, looking after his personal needs, watching in amazement as he healed person after person, turned water into wine, lovingly instruct his disciples. You know him tired from the demands put upon him, angry with the injustice of the authorities, disgusted with how God is represented by the established church. You'd seen him feed thousands from a basket of fish and bread, lovingly bring words and actions of comfort to those in need. And you know he is truly a good man, the only person you have ever in your life been able to trust, believe in and feel absolutely safe with. You watch as barely dressed, this alone a huge true humiliation for a Jewish man, stumbles along, blooded, bruised and beaten, physically exhausted, pushed and shoved by the guards and crowds, mocked, spat at and derided and unable to manage the crossbeam he's being forced to carry. You flinch and cling to each other as the nails are brutally hammered into his hands and feet and he's raised clumsily on his cross, a thud as it drops into the ground. People are laughing and mocking him. Your heart is breaking as this ordinary-looking man, this man, the best person you have ever known, this man you've grown to love, silently accepts all that's thrown at him. You've been brought up to respect the church leaders and all they say, but here they are, laughing and enjoying the scene, clearly delighted that there's no commotion or accusation against them for causing the outcome. And then Jesus calls out a single message, a message that resonates with you. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's haunting, these single words, and you know exactly where they have come from. Of course, the Psalms. Psalm 22, in fact, that the respected and loved King David had written. And you've actually sat listening to Jesus read aloud this psalm to you all over the campfire after a busy, tiring day. 
a psalm that also says, All who see me mock me, they make mouths at me, they wag their heads for dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. For my clothing, they cast lots. And you realise what you're witnessing has all been predicted. You're confused. What does this all mean? Of course, today we have the benefit of time to compare all that happened. The evidence that shows that Isaiah predicted and King David predicted, and so did many others before this. It came to reality that Jesus had to die. God had to come to earth in the form of a man to convince us of what is right and true and put us back in that perfect place of relationship with him. It was all part of a perfect plan that we today benefit from. And it's only through personally knowing Jesus we can truly appreciate this and realise that being a Christian doesn't mean I have to be good enough because the truth is I can never be perfect. But Jesus knows this and he loves me. I don't have to keep a lot of do's and don'ts. I don't have to earn and work to get into this perfect place with God because it's all been done by Jesus. Those of us that truly know and love this ordinary Jesus, who in actual fact is holy and divine and resplendent King, who loves us and our world so much that he paid this price of suffering, benefit each and every day as we live in a world that often brings pain and suffering. And then the last bit of the passage from Isaiah that we heard today also reminds us that this was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering from sin, he will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. And this week we have the most perfect example of this. 2,000 years after Jesus was crucified, we celebrate a new addition to our church family here in Muxton as her parents bring her to be baptised. This little girl is one of these descendants that Isaiah spoke of and will benefit from her parents and godparents introducing her into a relationship with Jesus. And our prayer for her is that she will in turn want to follow and benefit from all that that will mean for her. That like the women at the cross, she'll always have a constant source of care, protection and guidance throughout her life. So... Can we now say that we know the crucified Jesus personally and not just know about him? Have our emotions been stirred as we consider the cruel death he endured? Have our hearts quickened and burned within us as we've heard the scriptures open to us? Have we been excited, elated and thrilled at the outcome personally for us as we look into the face of our beloved Jesus? For we too are his descendants. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you love us so much that in the person of Jesus you paid the ultimate price for us. Death, death on a cross. Holy Spirit, we ask that you fill us afresh each and every day that we may know you as our personal friend, Lord and Saviour.
Amen. We continue our prayers with the collect for this week. Risen Christ, your wounds declare your love for the world and the wonder of your risen life. Give us compassion and courage to risk ourselves for those we serve. To the glory of God the Father. Amen. And we'll continue our prayers with a period of silence. Use the silence, please, to pray for situations in the world, in our nation, at home, or for people that we know and love who are not well. Father, you know the things that are on our hearts. And even when the words run out, because we do not know how to pray, your spirit intercedes with our spirit. Father, hear our prayers. And as we join together in the prayer that Jesus taught us, we pray that your kingdom will come and your will be done. So let's say together, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. And so we conclude this time together by hearing some words of blessing. God the Father by whose glory Christ was raised from the dead, strengthen us to walk with him in his risen life. And may the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit be among us and remain with us and with those we love, now and always. Amen.